Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to talk about something here. Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at uh, four verses. Okay. Pray, let me articulate this. You speak by the power of the Spirit only. Okay, what title is what no one is talking about? Repentance. Repentance. Okay. If you'd like to stand and read it, praise the Lord. You, you position yourself sitting, that's fine. Let's read it together. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what's written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Thank you. No one's talking about it. Repentance. Talk about forgiveness. Talk about a lot of things. And let me couch this by saying today, all of this today is mingled with God's grace. I don't want to slip into legalism. I don't want to slip into in any way saying, uh, uh, thus saith the Lord necessarily. Although, when God's word speaks, it is thus saith the Lord. Okay, But I ask God would speak to each individual regarding what I'm going to be talking about in the next three weeks. And I believe it's very important. And I think it's one of the things that will precede revival and i pray that you'll understand god would open our hearts to, to understand this and be obedient to what he's saying in and through our day and our time if anybody has noticed we're in desperate need of the lord amen, amen. we're in desperate need of a move of god's spirit in this country today where i was raised and obviously in the fact that marriage uh, was between one man and one woman according to the word of god that's completely changed uh, where these things, as far as abortion is concerned, that abortion can be provided right up to, obviously, the very last moment. All these things that we see happening as this change in our nation, in our country, in the values and the morals. <clears throat> All this and taking prayer out of God, out of out of school. And, and basically, that is taking <laughs> taking prayer out of God, it could be said, but taking God out of the school also. Just completely, obviously, saying we want nothing to do with anything about God. Okay, And I believe that obviously a nation that goes that way will obviously be like the nation of Israel. And I, they'll go off the cliff. But I do believe what God wants to do in our day and our time is to revive His church. And a revive actually means to bring back from the dead. Actually. Breathe new life into us as the body of Christ and His body, not just here at Lighthouse Fellowship, but across the body of Christ, and awaken our hearts to who God really is. See, we all have visions of who God is, and we've kind of made Him in our own image, so to speak, because we believe this and that, and most people say God is God of love. Yes, He is a God of love. But obviously that does not mean that we continue on in the way that we were going. And repentance actually means a change of mind that brings about a change in our behavior. 
That cannot be done by man, and it cannot be done by you. It has to be a work of God's Spirit. That's what we want to talk about today. So keep that in mind as we go about this. <laughs> I've been reading a book that I mentioned a couple several weeks ago, Revival or We Die, by a gentleman, a pastor, theologian, really, Dr. Michael Brown. And it actually, I believe that. I believe that, obviously, no. We're, if you're saved here today, and you're born again, then we know we're headed to heaven, okay? And I don't believe anybody can, can snatch you out of the Father's hand. I believe you're saved and so forth. But what does God is looking for in His body is a pure bride. He's looking to come and change our hearts. When we got saved, we know we changed our mind about who Jesus is. And we changed our mind about our condition, realizing that we were uh, full of sin. And the only one that could save us is the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, we, we believe that and we know that was a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We may not fully understand it. I still don't fully understand it. It's a miracle. But we knew something took place in our lives to where we saw things in the world with circumstances and other people in a different way than we did before. It changed it. We changed our mind, which again changed our behavior. And so repentance is what we believe, I believe, we need today because I believe that it is a uh, prerequisite for revival. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, think about it, late 1800s, early 1900s, the Salvation Army, which we're all obviously familiar with, was a powerhouse of evangelism. Evangelism. Reaching out, telling other people about Jesus Christ. Amen. The founder and leader was William Booth. Many of you probably know that. And so I want to begin this morning by reading to you a warning that he handed down that I believe will introduce us to this message today. And he says this, the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, and forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Let me say it again. The chief danger that confronts the coming century, this is William Booth speaking, will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. And so I want to talk about several things. First of all, religion without the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit changed, obviously. He used to refer to the third person of the Trinity as the Holy Ghost. He is a person. He is a here. He is a he. He is here right now. He's in you. If you're a believer, he lives within you. And he directs you as you submit your life to him. And obviously ask and, and seek to do the Father's will, certainly here. But the danger that Booth is talking about is people going to church, having their services, but having little or no interaction with the Holy Spirit, basically. They come in and go out, certainly here, uh, because it is possible for people under the name of Christianity to gather every week, sing some songs, listen to a sermon, enjoy social interaction with friends, yet never be changed by the influence of the Holy Spirit. You come to church every week and never be touched. Because see what happens. 
happens is, is we cannot change ourselves. It actually is God's spirit within us that changes us, makes us more like Jesus. But we can do that every week here. And the great danger that we face today is church simply becomes a clean form of entertainment. We sort of come in and we're tired from the week and we come in and we sort of do what I would consider to be our religious duty duties and nothing ever happens. We're never changed from the inside out to make us more like Jesus Christ here. I can sit comfortably in a nice air conditioned or heated building here, certainly here. Having put in my time and duty during the week, I can now do what I really enjoy after I leave this place and do whatever I want to do. So how much of the church will continue right on today without God being in it at all? How much of the church could just continue on without the influence, continuing on never recognizing the presence of the Lord and what He wants to do in people's lives and sort of just coming in because we know, well, I've got fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. But certainly today, most people probably, as I've read records, particular statistics that 85% of people believe they're going to heaven. 85%. I'm going to show you about that today and I want to talk about this. I say this right now and couch it is, the Bible says there's therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Okay, If you're in, in the Lord Jesus and you've accepted Him as your personal Lord and Savior, then you're sitting here today and you're saved and we're headed to heaven. But what I'm talking about, not just that initial salvation, but I'm talking about after you've come to Christ, how you live your life, and actually what God wants to do in your life and in my life also here. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof here. So what was the driving force of the New Testament church? Was it exciting programs here? Was it a Madison Avenue approach to try to gather people in? Was it impressive buildings? Was it a state-of-the-art sound system? Certainly here, equipment. No. They had obviously none of that, certainly. It was the activity of the Holy Spirit of God. I'm a study of revivals. And looking back at the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and the revival, certainly the revival in the mid-1800s in, in New York, and the revival, the Welsh revival, the beginning of the 19, of 1900s, and so forth, I look at it and I've seen what's happening. And, and what you see all there that you can compare is the fact God's Spirit moved powerfully in a way that transformed lives, you see. Only the Holy Spirit can transform a selfish creature into a giving, loving person. Church is to be a place of transformation. You'll turn over to Acts chapter 19. Can you pull that up, Michael? Acts chapter 19. We're going to look at that. Just read verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. Thank you for getting that quickly. While Paulus was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he asked them, 
Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And if you go back to the other, when you believed, they answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. They said, we had not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, and I was not seeking the Lord when I was younger, but I'd never really, I don't know that the church ever talked about the Holy Spirit. I don't know that. And I know some churches did, no matter what, denominational churches and non-denominational churches. But they never talked about the Holy Spirit. Now, it could be that I've always thought, why was that? Why why had not heard heard? Because he's the third person of the Trinity. Jesus said it's expedient. In other words, I want to get back to the Father so I can send the Holy Spirit who will be in you and will be with you. He's our comforter. He's our guide. He convicts us. He's with us. He's here now. He's in every believer and he will help us. You remember when Jesus there was baptized in the River Jordan? The, baptized, the, the Spirit of God came on him and empowered him actually to do the next three and a half years of ministry that he did. But see, the church, I believe in ways it could be that the church has strayed away from the talking about the Holy Spirit because they feel like, my goodness, we're going to be like those Pentecostals. We're going to jump pews. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. And they conjure up all these types of images and so therefore, what we've done is thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Okay? And so nobody talks about him. And then he says, when he laid hands on them there, prophesied and he spoke in tongues. We know how controversial the gifts of the Spirit are to where I was never taught about the gifts of the Spirit until I began, obviously, studying the Word of God and God began to change my heart about these. That these things are for today. They weren't just there for the planting of the church. There's teaching today saying that the gifts of the Spirit are not needed today. It was needed to establish the church. The gifts of the Spirit are needed today to minister to people. And every one of them, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, all of these things are true today. But we don't want to talk about it. But see, without the Holy Spirit, and he's a gentleman. He stands back until he's welcomed, until we open our heart. Is that basically nothing can be transformed in our hearts because it is not a legalistic approach that I sort of conjure it up and try to be a little bit better. That I try to do this and that. It is a work of God's Spirit in your heart and my heart. And I believe William Booth was saying this, actually. It's the church without the Holy Spirit. And that's what the that danger of that is. If you look at the friend's history, folks, <laughs> it will astound you. <clears throat> you look at George Fox, the one that founded it. George Fox operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, I mean, you look, you watch it, you're going, you'd be founded by it. You look at it. <clears throat> and so, as a friend's denomination, <clears throat> and I'm just speaking to everybody today because I just believe it's the body of Christ. Certainly, I'm a, I'm a pastor here at the Friends Church. But, 
is that we need God's Spirit to move in our midst and do whatever He wants to do because He's the only one. But see, if we keep Him at arm's length and say, no, you can do this and don't go too far here, basically, He respects that. And you'll say, have your way, but you won't change like I want to change you to make you more like Jesus. You see, a lot of people don't have that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because why? Again, many traditional denominations and non-denominationals, first of all, they have a what's called a Western mindset. <clears throat> because they say experience is, is bad. It's experience that you can't have an experience because somebody may get a little bit too emotional. And then when you look at them, you begin to sort of look and say, that's just emotion. That can't be them being touched by the Lord. And we start looking at, instead of our relationship with Jesus Christ and allowing God to be all that He wants to be in each of our lives. You see? And that's where we are today. And that Western mindset here. If you go to South America, and I've been there, you all know that. I've been to Ecuador. Let me tell you. <laughs> I've been in a couple meetings down there where Obviously, the Spirit of God was so thick in the place that all I did was weep. In fact, I went to the back of the church so I wouldn't disturb anybody. I just wept un continuously as God began to minister to me. I just wept. And the Spirit of God came on people like, you know, fire and touched people. And one man up front who was leading in the worship team, a young man, the Spirit of God came on him so powerfully that the upper, his upper trunk was like on fire. And he looked at one of the ladies in the worship team and said, I'm, I'm on fire. What do I do? And she laughed and said, and, and, in Ecuador, there are a lot of uh, roses and a lot of vases. She said, put your head in the vase where the roses are and cool off, okay? And that was the Spirit of God moving in this young man's life. He experienced God's Spirit and it changed his heart. When God touched me years ago by the power of the Spirit of God, the manifest presence of the Lord changed my direction in life. <clears throat> is this my water? Don, is this my water here? Is this mine? Thank you, sir. It's changed my direction. It changed your life. But see, Christianity, the church without the Holy Spirit today. And we go, we'd never be like that. But do we act like that? That somehow we feel like, okay, I know that's not me, but do sometimes we act like that. The second point is Christianity without Christ. Christianity without Christ. Without Christ in the Bible. Maybe there's another Jesus, okay? Maybe there is. Maybe another Jesus concocted in our own minds, but not the one of the cross. Not the one who said this in Luke chapter 9, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, if Jesus, you know, hey, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah. And then you look at their lives over years and so forth, and they don't, no one comes to church, and church doesn't save you, so I'll couch it with this. The church does not save you, but Jesus saves you. But if you're saved, you're going to want to come and fellowship with people. You'll want to come and have your faith strengthened in the Lord. I want to tell you right now, that's not legalism. That's truth. You'll want to get up. If you look at First John, the first, 
First uh, John there, look at obviously how you can tell somebody is a Christian. There are about five things that are very evident. And one of them is you want to get around people, fellow believers. I love being around y'all, okay? You know, as quirky as I am, I don't know if y'all want to be around me, but I want to be around you, excuse me. But you'll want to come. You want to hear the Word. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I do not want to continue with just a small little bit of faith. I want my faith to grow. And that takes a work of God's Spirit. And it it also takes accountability. Accountability to y'all. Accountability to the Lord, certainly. But accountability to the church. But maybe we have a Christ you just says, now nah, you take it easy. You've got your fire insurance. You know, you're going to, you're going to heaven and so forth. No, he doesn't. That's not, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Okay. Perhaps a more positive Christ. Maybe one who helps me indulge the flesh rather than deny the flesh. Christianity without, without the anointing one, just a nice group of people who don't want to disturb my self-centered life. You see, the main issue we have in this country and the main issue about sin is self. It's me, myself, and I. It's all me, myself, and I. It's about me. Instead of seeing Christianity for what it really is about giving ourselves away, about sharing the gospel with other people, about being a part of other people's lives and helping them through situations and and blessing their lives and loving other people and so forth. And let me just sit over here in my little tight cocoon and let no one bother me. You see, that's not the Christ of the Bible. He's saying Christ, obviously, Christianity without Christ. The third thing is forgiveness without repentance. Obviously, yes, it's very nice. I have many sins that need to be forgiven. And I continue to indulge myself in those sins, certainly. But I want them forgiven because I don't want the consequences of that behavior, certainly here. So a religion where I can keep doing whatever I want to do, yet get the slate wiped clean by a quick confession or two of forgiveness without repentance. Because again, repentance means a change of mind, which transfers into your life changing, making a change in your life. And so obviously, Jesus is not telling that forgiveness and repentance are two different things. They are, but they're connected certainly here. And so God's forgiveness is linked, obviously, with our repentance. To turn to God, one must turn from sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, y'all may have heard of him back there many years ago, called it cheap grace. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he wrote, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus. Now, grace is grace. And we did not come to the Lord on our own. It's by faith grace through faith and Jesus alone. We didn't earn it, folks. It's a free gift. But that's just the beginning. And even when we came to it initially, it took repentance about changing our mind about who Jesus is and then changing our behavior. But then, as Christians, we go along and what happens? The world comes in and the devil comes in and the flesh comes in. And before long, we're kind of like that church in Revelation. 
the church at Laodicea is lukewarm. And we don't have a passion for Jesus. We're kind of like, well, I'll go through the motions and I'll sort of like do this and that and all that. And all these other things have crept in. And God says there in His Ten Commandments, you'll have no other idols there. And we've got all this stuff ahead of God and so forth. And, and they've crept in. Before long, our relationship with Jesus is sort of like taking a back seat, right? And God is saying today, without that, repentance. And you and I should be repenting. The church needs to repent corporately and we need to repent individually. I always preach to myself. Remember that. Obviously, Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, listen to this, because everybody said, I'm going to heaven. Everything. There's only a few people that believe they're going to hell. When I did hospice, most people that I walk in on, on the face sheet that I get about the different information about them, is that they put under their religion, Christianity. A lot of times I would go in many occasions and say well you know tell me about jesus oh i just i don't tell me about the church i don't go to church i don't, church, I don't, I don't, I don't go to church i don't have any are you or have you opened the bible no i don't read the bible because that's you're legalistic now jim come on and most of all what they said are well you don't have a relationship with jesus do you know what the bible says that you must be born again to be saved we've got to be transformed from the inside out something's got to happen supernatural in your life and my life and it's not just giving an intellectual assent that, yeah, I agree, Jesus is Lord. The devil knows that Jesus is Lord, okay? But has your life been changed? Have you repented? Certainly. And I, I, I put this down. Jesus said this in Matthew 7. He said this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that lead to destruction, and many enter therein. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. How many people in church today? Now, church doesn't save you, doesn't save you, and some people can't go to church. Okay, I understand that. God knows that, okay? Don't. <clears throat> Don't get me wrong. Not legalistic. But how many people who could come to church and hear the Word of God and want to be a, have their faith strengthened that said, maybe as a kid, that I walked an aisle and I came down and yeah, I, I kind of thought maybe preacher was preaching and, and I needed to go ahead and make a decision here but they had no life change it may be that they never were saved it could be a whole lot of people today how many people are there we'd have this place packed out in this area alone if the spirit of God moved upon people's hearts how many family members do you have that you're praying for for their salvation why are you praying for their salvation if you believe everybody's saved and maybe if you believe that you're just saved by your good works there are good people out there i know a lot of good people out there but they have no idea who jesus is and they've never surrendered their life to jesus they've never repented remember the writer of amazing grace amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me i once was lost but now was found was blind but now I see. A wretch? I'm not too bad, Jim. Come on. Are you kidding me? I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't done any of these things. I'm not bad, too bad. You're just speaking legalism here. Let me tell you. The Bible says otherwise. Broad is the way to destruction. And many therein enter in. And narrow is the gate that leads to life. I'm not being legalistic. I'm being real. 
Because that's what the Word of God says. You see, the more we realize the wretchedness nature of our rebellion, the more we understand the amazing nature of God's grace. How many of you know that? When God touched me, I realized that I was in total depravity. I realized that if God didn't do something, I would slip off into the depths of hell. But right behind it came mercy and grace and forgiveness. But I had to have that in my heart. And what is that? Is that something you conjure up? No. It's a work of God's Spirit. But it takes place by taking the first step. And all of this does. And the realization that we need help, right? I am not self-sufficient here. I need God to touch my heart and make me more like Jesus. To change me from the inside out today. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs the same thing. You see, William Booth got it right. And it only comes by revelation by the Holy Spirit. Right behind it comes mercy and grace. Right behind it, mercy. Remember that. Because He's a God that's full of mercy and grace. Not legalistic in that. But certainly that He requires something of us. It just doesn't all, all of a sudden take place. He required us to step forward and make a choice for Jesus, right? Why wouldn't the rest of our life be a choice also? You see, salvation without regeneration. No real internal change. The person simply said some words and joined a group there. And Nicodemus had what he was saying before he met Jesus here. Plenty of religion. He was religious in a salvation based on his own good works. And Jesus told him that to really be saved, something supernatural had to happen in his life. You must be born again. You must be born again. The Bible says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Salvation, obviously, um, without regeneration does not work. You've got to be regenerated. That's a theological term, I know. We won't get into it. It means you've got to be changed. Okay? But the fifth thing here is politics without God. Nations leaving God out of their decisions. Nations talking about everything but God. Careful not to offend the atheist or the secular taking separation of church and state to a level never intended by the forefathers, interpreting that as a way to prevent government from religion rather than the intended protection of freedom of religion from a tyrannical government. Politics without God. And that's what we're seeing in our nation today. We've got godless leaders in places of authority that are dictating things, including lighting up the White House, with obviously the gay symbols, the different lights there and so forth. And I, I never thought I would live, obviously, long enough to see that marriage, the definition of marriage would be obviously not between just a man and a woman, but it could be between anything or anybody that you wanted. If we don't realize this today, if we don't realize we got to wake up to what's going on, then we'll lose every freedom we have. If we don't realize today and change what we know the last probably generation that we said we need not be involved in politics and get involved, not just prayer, because prayer changes their hearts, but get involved 
and make changes. We'll continue just like the last two years with this COVID mandate and taking away every freedom that you and I and everybody in this nation and around the world that you're seeing people protest right now because of. Okay. Don't get me wrong. I've always said that I'm always cautious. But I'll tell you what's happened here is this they've taken advantage of. They've taken advantage of the fact and said, I'm going to take every right you have because we see our opportunity. And what happened from the news media? And what happened from other places that propagated fear and spewed fear day and night and so forth? Before long, everybody was afraid. And so all we've done, I can't shake anybody's hand anymore. I can't hug anybody appropriately anymore. I can't get close anymore. I mean, what does the enemy want to do? One number one is the enemy wants to destroy your faith and my faith. And the second thing that he does is he wants to destroy relationships. Those two things. And what has he done? He separated us. He's knocked people out of church from hearing the Word of God because the Word of God changes you under the inspiration of God's Spirit. So that's what's happened today because we have men and women that are power hungry, that want all that control, you see, today. You know what control is as far as spiritual? It's witchcraft. Manipulation. They'll manipulate you. The Bible says that witchcraft, manipulation is, is as of witchcraft. So it's demonic power. The only one's most powerful and omnipotent is God Almighty. Hallelujah. Okay, so obviously, politics without God, second heaven without hell. Oh, let me tell you, people were presented sometimes with the gospel, just, you know, God, he couldn't send him like hell. No, we just read it. Wide is the way to destruction, and there is the gate that leads to life. He says, few people in it. Okay. Remember, this is all mixed. With God's amazing grace, okay? But maybe by God just speaking, we'll all allow God to introspect and look at our hearts and lives, you see. Obviously here, shouldn't we let Jesus' actual word shape our understanding of Him? Rather than somehow forcing our preconceived ideas on Him? When something confronts your life and my life and the Bible speaks to you and I, what do we do? Do we close it and say, well, I must have read that one wrong. <laughs> that must have been, that must be way off here because man, I am convicted like crazy over this, okay? That's what the Word of God does. It makes you uncomfortable sometimes. It makes me uncomfortable. God is God of love. God confronts our sin and says, this has got to change. And let me tell you, for God to bring revival, and I believe He wants to, but I believe He's looking at the church house to get right and repent. Whatever He shows you, go before the Lord and say, Lord, remove it. I don't want it in my life. These besetting sins in our lives, the patterns that we have in our lives and so forth. It could be generational. Yes, I understand that. But we need to change because we know obviously He doesn't. I believe Booth's warning was profoundly prophetic. These are exactly the issues we're dealing with today. It's not good marketing to talk about negative things like hell. People might get offended, right? If we imply they need to change on as far as biblical terms are concerned and repent, 
I want to tell you, let me see how many of you will be here next week after you know that I'm preaching three messages on this particular topic. Everybody going to stay home next week, right? My goodness, Jim is out of his mind. Right? (laughs) No, come back. There's more. There's more. No condemnation. But man, God is looking at you and I. Look at my life. So you've got to do something. I can't continue on. Obviously, you know, young people, they think they'll live forever. Well, at my age, I know time is drawing near, okay? <laughs> uh, I'm not like Methuselah, Methuselah, okay? But I know my time is drawing near. Obviously here, what is the message we're supposed to be preaching? Some preachers are more influenced by the culture. Political correctness than what Jesus told us to preach. They know what seemed to be right for them and the people that they talked to. They know what the crowd wants to hear. Remember Jesus was walking with all these people, a big crowd of people, and he said, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What happened to the crowd, right? They took off. They didn't understand. He was talking spiritually. But it was like, this man talks. You know, he, he talks out of his mind. He, he's talking. He's confronting me. It's confronting my sin in my life today. I don't understand this. And I'm backing off. I'm leaving this place. And remember, he looked at Jesus, looked at Peter and said, you're going to leave also? And he, Peter said, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. Right? So he's looking at me and you. Because I want revival. Because Jesus is the only answer. I said it for many, many years. But I see things happening today on the horizon, just like a bucket. He got out there and, and, and looked, and Jesus looked and saw things happening. And you know what? I don't care what God does, just as long as He does it, right? Sometimes we can stay in the same place all of our lives and never, ever make progress as far as we're walking in our maturity with Christ. Jesus wants to grow us up. And the Spirit can do that if we're allowing Him. Let's see. Take, for instance, the message of love. Is that our message? Yes. You define love using biblical revelation rather than society's definition. God is love, certainly. He is. And to understand that simple statement here, we've got to know what God has revealed Himself to be through the Scripture. We just can't take our own idea of what love is and ascribe it to God. Would a God of love ever judge a nation? Would a God of love ever judge a nation? Would a God of love ever judge an individual? Would a God of love send anyone to hell? The God of the Bible would. And he, he still is a loving God. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. Not everybody is going to heaven thinks they're going to heaven. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? The only thing will save you. You know, all the funerals I did in hospices of chaplains, hundreds and hundreds, is that obviously I stood by the casket of many people, beautiful people, and I looked in the casket, and some of them had letters there that loved ones wanted to, to take leaving the casket and so forth. It's a way of grief. It's a grief process and so forth. But I never saw any money put in there. Right? Maybe we can uh, have uh, some, you know, old churches of the past, in the years past, they thought, you know, um, that they could sort of like pay to pay somebody, a pastor or a priest, and that person could get into heaven. You know? I've never seen money in the casket. God is saying today, we need, obviously, to preach the purity of the gospel. But sometimes people equate love with tolerance. Okay? So they think the message is tolerance. Just accept people the way they are. I mean, your opinion is no better than their opinions, you say, and so forth. Why do you think your opinion is better? 
I mean, I believe in God and so forth. People will say, yeah, I, I believe the Bible. I just don't know what it says. Ever heard that? I said, have you opened it for it? No, it's sitting on grandmother's uh, coffee table. Drawing dust, he says, you see. But that's our culture today. And a lot of people will tell you this. Who are you to judge? <laughs> I hear that a lot. I'm not the ultimate judge. God is, and you know that. But I'm talking about I know what's right and wrong. And when somebody does something wrong, when they do this and when they sin and God shows you, it's not for us necessarily always to confront. It's for us to pray for that individual. But I can judge that. I know that's wrong and that's right because I know what the Bible says. They go, well, who are you to judge here? What does Jesus tell us to preach? Is it tolerance? In Luke 24, again, it says here, He says, preach remission there, forgiveness of sin and repentance here. He says, preach these two things. Because forgiveness without the accompanying repentance is erroneous. And it's happening a lot. Evangelistic numbers sound real good when you're simply inviting people to receive something free. Jesus loves you. Come and receive the free gift of eternal life. All this is true, yes. But certainly here, He's looking for you and me to have our life changed. And not stay the same. Be different, and only He can do that. There's no forgiveness if there's no repentance here. Do I earn my salvation by repentance? Not at all. Don't by my behavior here. I receive by grace through faith in Jesus alone. But that's the beginning. That's just the beginning there. Obviously, the, they also need to understand that to receive the gift, you turn from sin to God. The fourth thing is, here I want to look at repentance as essential to our message. Repentance here. We've read Jesus' command there in Luke 24 to preach repentance and remission of sins here. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28? He said this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here, Jesus tells us what? Make disciples. Disciple. Disciple is a follower of Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower? Amen. You're a follower of Jesus. Amen. And you want to know Him. You want to be more like Him. You want to do His will in your life. You want to know His will. You want to know Him. And you want to follow Him. That's what the Bible says here. But your life should be, our message is one of repentance. You want to turn from your sin and follow Christ. You've got to do that. And you've got to do it in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. Not legalistic. Glenn, I can't conjure up. And man, see, I can come in here and smile and everything and look real good in front of a whole crowd of people. Okay? But what's happening on my inside is what really is reality. It's what really who you are, right? I've many people come to church with a veneer of Christianity. And inside, there's loss of the goose. They don't know Jesus Christ here. From the beginning of his ministry, Jesus said, tells us from that time Jesus began to preach. And to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent is that word that he's using. Almost opposite of the politically correct message today of tolerance here. See, what happens is a lot of pastors sometimes, I hope this is never true, but it could be, is that we obviously get into a place of authority 
And there's a certain amount of power in that, obviously. And so what they do is they try to build their own kingdom. And so basically what they have is if they're not preaching repentance and forgiveness at the same time, then they can draw a big crowd. Because everybody's saying, oh, I want God. God loves me. This I know. And so forth. And yes, that is true. But going along with it is turning from our sins and letting God have full sway in our lives. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30 says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. He is not asking them to repent. He is commanding them to repent. And then Paul talks about the judgment that will come through Jesus Christ here. He talks about, you remember there in that chapter, he talks about the unknown God. Paul, obviously, the message was a message of repentance here. And then again in Acts 26, he stood before King Agrippa in verse 19. Listen, therefore, King Agrippa, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do the works befitting repentance. The works of repentance. The Christian life should be a life of repentance. 1 John 1.9 says, We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But it, repentance is right in there. See, I can throw a flip a flare up. Yes, I'm forgiven and flip that up and so forth and have no obviously desire at all or inclination to turn from my sin. Continuing on in the same way. But when the Spirit of God shows up, He reveals these things. And there's going to be grace and mercy right in there behind it, right? But He's going to come and there's going to be a conviction in our life, in my life, in your life, like never before. But I, I want to tell you, get ready. Get ready. Get ready to meet the king. We never know when that time will come. And we need to repent. Because repentance is essential of our message. Not a dirty word. The opportunity to repent is something that should be cherished, not rejected, but a marvelous expression of God's grace. God would grant us a chance to turn from something destructive and receive his goodness in its place. Perhaps something obviously maybe you're thinking about today. In your life, it's not God's best. Have you thought about it? Last week, I passed out uh, copies. And anybody wants a copy, again, I'll make copies on uh, fresh consecration. I felt like the Lord gave me a word before the leadership meeting that we had some time ago. And it actually was fresh consecration. And on those just a couple sheets, explain what consecration is. And that is giving your life totally to the Lord, being separate. For him, his purposes and his plans, and whatever he wants to do with you. It's like a total surrender from the old Baptist, the way they express it. Totally consecrated you. Asking God if there's anything offensive in my heart that's not pleasing him to you, come and remove it, and I want to repent of it. Give me the power and give me the grace to repent and turn away from it and turn to God. Amen. That's where we're at. And let me tell you, before revival comes. The only way that it will come is because people's, the church, because judgment begins in the house of God. He looks at you and me. He's looking and he's seeing what we'll do. I just pray that you'll turn in God and just get quiet before the Lord and show you. If he's anything in your heart, if he shows you, then go ahead and get it right. You can come before him. It's the work of the Spirit. 
It's not something you can conjure up. Let me read this to you. Get, get ready to close. The fact of the matter is that true repentance always goes deeper than we expect, both for the sinner and for the saint. That's why it's so uncomfortable. That's why so many resist it. That's also why it's so necessary. We are sicker than we realize, and the cure is more radical than we can imagine. But God can truly change us. Okay. Remember, Jesus did not come to improve us or to enhance us or to make us bigger and better or more successful. He came to save us from our sins, to forgive us and transform us, to transfer us from death to life and from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. That's the gospel. He came so we could die to our old rebellious ways and live new lives of obedience to Him. He didn't come to make it better. Kind of like, you know, somebody said, you clean up pretty good, Jim. You know, when I put on a suit and all that. Jesus really did come clean us up from the inside out. Amen. The last article, and we close. This particular pastor says in my book, <clears throat> It's Michael Brown, 1993. It's time to rock the boat. It called to God. People to rise up and preach a confirmational gospel. He says, I cited some examples of how the true gospel message preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Pieces, hence pieces, uh, actually pierces hearts and lives. From the soul-saving ministry, again, of William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, comes this eyewitness account of a truly evangelistic service. Listen to this. Penitent or repentant sinners have come up the aisle so overcome as to be hardly able to reach the rail. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters have knelt side by side weeping Remember, these were uh, lost sinners coming forward to be saved. The preacher was again earnest, terribly melting, full of pathos. The word was with power. And Williams Booth's wife, Catherine, said this. He described another of their outreaches. The communion rail was filled in a few minutes with great strong men who cried aloud for mercy Many as though the pains of hell had actually got a hold of them. The cries and the shouts of those repenting almost overpowered the singing. At night, there was a gale of saving grace. The meeting did not finally close until 3 a.m. and the chapel was open for the next day. Big men down front repenting because the word of God was so powerful that they repented. Loudly cried out because I believe they realized their sinfulness without the amazing grace of our wonderful Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's repentance. Now, you sound pretty good. I'm good, Jim. 
I'm good to go. I got my ticket on that heavenly train when it comes. And that's great. Praise God. Hallelujah. But God is up to something more in our lives. That was just the beginning. And God is asking, I believe, challenging me and you to come. And whatever God shows you, whatever it may be, get along with Him, tell Him about it, and ask Him to fix it. I talk to Him like I talk regularly, and I'm an old country boy. Lord, fix it. I don't want it. And allow God's true repentance to work deep in my heart and your heart and the heart of the church. See, revival begins with me and you. That's where it begins, right here. So if we talk about total consecration, Lord, I set my life apart for you. There's something kind of clogging up your power from coming down, from your conduit, the power of your spirit, then Lord, remove it from my heart and my life. If we all do that, you know, I, I, we can't make God do it, okay? But we can get in a place where we can receive it, amen? We can position ourselves to be able to receive what God has, all of what God has. To be honest, I want all that God has for me. Okay, I've always, I want God. And I want all that He has for me. I want all that He has for this church. I don't care what He does. If we're on our faces before God, crying out for mercy and asking forgiveness and asking to do this, if we understand our wretchedness and how we've drifted away, the church at Laodicea was lukewarm, remember? They said, we don't need anything. We're rich. We got the big buildings. We got the big... Everything, we got all the money for the budgets and all that stuff. The preacher's paid real well, okay? He's good, he's good. Preaches a real comforting message and so forth. We got all this. Remember what Jesus told him? He said, no, you're poor, you're wretched, and you're blind. And I'm getting ready to spit you out of my mouth. Let God look at your heart. The Holy Spirit working and moving, doing things you never thought. I never thought. I mean, it wasn't me. All of a sudden, I just started seeking the Lord. As God began to change my heart, what is all grace is the grace of God. Praise Him. Praise Him. He changed my heart. You can change your heart also. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your truth, Your Word. And thank You, Lord, today for what You're doing. It's not about me. It's about You. It's all about You, Lord. Just like we just sang. Forgive us, Lord. I'm sorry for what we've done. Just like that song said, sorry for what we have made. Lord, we need you to move in this church. And Lord, today, we all come before you and say, Lord, do whatever you want to do. We don't care. We know we as a church need you desperately and we as a nation need you desperately. From the top, from the president right on down, through the Congress, through our Supreme Court, through all of the legislatures here in Texas and every state in this great, wonderful union. We ask you, Lord, to move. Put godly men and women in place that will make decisions based upon their discerning and their seeking your face. Forgive us, Lord, for what we've made it. And help us, Lord, to come back. Come back in that relationship. Intimacy. And that intimacy, Lord, will cause us to go forth to share with others that need to know about your love and your goodness. But it begins by we right here in the church house. As we repent and turn, ask you to look at our hearts. 
Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. If there are decisions being made here today, I just want you to just to say, Lord, I I, I want to be in this place of what's being spoken of today with you. I want to be a part of it. I want to be all that you've called me to be. And there's something that keeps hanging on to my life. And it's like a noose around my neck. And I realize that it's a bondage. It's something that I am not quite free of. It could be anger. It could be lust. It could be worry. It could be fear. It could be all, any of these things. God will show you. And I want to be free. I don't want it. So I give it to you this day. I give you my life. I give you my heart. And Lord, I will continue to seek you because something's happened in my life. Recognition. Again, that maybe you're not first place as you should be. You're not Lord. Oh, I love you and I'm saved. But you're not Lord. Other things have come in and just toppled. Toppled you off the throne of my heart. And I ask you right now, Lord, any idol in our hearts, just right now, tear it down. Kick it over. And Jesus, you take your rightful place in our heart and in the heart of everybody here in this church. We need you, Lord. Holy Spirit of God, I pray if anybody here has never really just said, Lord, fill me. The Bible says, that we're to be, not be drunk with wine or the things of the world. You could say it that way. But be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've never been filled, just ask Him, Lord, because it's the Spirit's work. He said, I want to know you. I don't feel like I know you as I want to, but I want to and have that relationship with the Holy Spirit and His influence in your heart and my life. The only way. Because He's the third, He is God. And He's here right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Seal on the hearts of these awesome, wonderful people in this place today, Lord. And uh, do what you want to do. Do what you want to do, Lord. I don't care what it is. I don't care. I don't care where you take me, what you tell me to say, or what you tell me to do. I just want you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.